Um, let us turn our Bibles to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, from verse 7 to 13. Revelation chapter 3, from verse 7 to 13. The scripture reads, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the of I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us pray. Our God in heaven. Um, we thank you for your goodness, kindness, mercy. Thank you, O Lord, for this hour of your word, of hearing your word. The hour of conviction, the hour of rebuke, the hour of encouragement, the hour of correction. Help us, O Lord, especially the listeners, that they may remain focused and that they may learn from your word, that they may grow from um, hearing of your word. And help me, Lord, as I communicate, that I may communicate effectively. Help me, Lord, um, by all means, to not um, be false, but to deliver truth as it is, as you have planned that people may hear it. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we are still going on with our series on Revelation. We've been doing a series from Revelation chapter 1 all the way to chapter 3, the end of chapter 3. Um, and we've been looking at each church that was... Um, addressed by Christ, the message that Christ said to give to these churches. And when we started this series, we established already that these churches are a framework or 
they are a representation of all the churches that exist today. Um, there are some aspects of church life that were being dealt with um, in these churches that we also struggle with. There are some things that churches of this time um, erred in, and these things also erred in them. So Christ here is delivering a message to the churches. So today we are we are focusing on the church in Philadelphia and I've chosen to title this sermon Jesus the strength of a weak church. This letter is less of a rebuke than it is um, an encouragement. So today, let us um, open our eyes, let us open our ears to such encouragement that we, even as a small church, may rest on Christ as the source of our strength. So upon reading the letter addressed to the church in Philadelphia, I take it as words of exhortation given particularly to a group of believers or a church that seems important or powerless. So the goal, the goal of this message today is to empty out of ourselves carnal strength and rely solely on the strength that comes from Jesus Christ. And I know it is a temptation for a church to rely on material possessions or even counting on wealthy church members for the upkeep of the church. It is a temptation to look, up, to look upon ourselves and think that uh, none of our members drive, none of our members has um, a high-paying job, then our church is weak. That's we see some churches going out to organizations to look for, for support because they just want to look out, they just want to, to look rich, they want to look powerful. And we've seen churches that seek favors and refuge from governments such that they may be protected in, in times of trouble. But when those things are stripped off, there is havoc in the church. We can see a lot of uh, contention in the church. We can see a lot of fighting in the church over finances, fighting in the church over who is doing what. We can see even a church trembling if they face opposition from, from, from um, external forces. Could be the government that opposes them. Could be just the community itself. Could be someone who just comes to church as a visitor and the church trembles. I'm not saying these things are not good to be, to have wealth in the church, to have cars to have all these things but they they these things can be a means by which god provides for his church but they remain worthless besides having christ and a healthy church chooses christ for strength that's what a healthy church does 
We may be blessed with all sorts of material things. We may have a, one of the most nicest church buildings in the church. We may have um, members who are very rich. We may have people who are very eloquent in their, in their speaking. Eloquent in their speaking. But all these things are not or should not be our source of our source of strength. We should be willing to strip everything off, lie there and say, Christ be our strength. So through this sermon, we shall look at two things. Uh, this sermon is a little bit different from uh, the previous ones, the way I I used to deliver them. They seemed like mostly in verse-to-verse -verse exposition. But this one I chose to structure it or to bring out some key points that will help us understand how to relate to the church in Philadelphia or what relationship we have with such a type of church or how the church of Philadelphia resembles our church. So there are two things we shall look at. The first thing is just generally looking at the city and the church of Philadelphia like we always do, looking at what kind of a city it was and what kind of a church it was. And number two, we shall look at the marks of a church whose strength is Jesus Christ. This is where we should um, focus on the most and examine ourselves to see whether what we do show or shows that Christ is our source of strength. So Philadelphia, I always go to John MacArthur's study notes for just to get a background of these uh, churches or the, the cities. So Philadelphia was located on a hillside about 30 miles southeast of Sardis. The city, modern day Alasheha, I don't know how to pronounce that, but it's L-A-L-A-S-H-E-H-I-R. It was founded around 190 BC by Atalas II, king of Pergamum. He also talked about Pergamum. His unusual devotion to his brother earned the city its name, Brotherly Love. Philadelphia literally means brotherly love. The city was an important commercial stop on a major trade route called the Imperial Post Road, a first century mail route. Though scripture does not mention this church elsewhere, it was probably the fruit of Paul's extended ministry in Ephesus. Uh, we find this in... Um, um, in Acts, um, when, when Paul ministered and a lot of um, cities, or the word was spreading out through a lot of cities, um, the church in Philadelphia was probably um, found or was probably uh, erected then. So, um, what then does Christ has to say about this church? 
we don't have any much information about what kind of a church it was, but we can get hints from the scripture. And this is where we're going to touch on to see what kind of a church it was and what Christ had to say about the church in, um, in Philadelphia. We need to note as we go through the text one verse at a time, I need us to give attention to the marks of a church whose strength is Christ. We need to keep um, our ears open for those points. These are the characteristics that rather made Philadelphia a strong, a strong church. Verse 7 reads, To the angel, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Let us just spend some time on this verse to clearly understand who's talking. Clearly it is the Lord Jesus Christ, but who is the Lord Jesus Christ? I want us to spend time on this because as we read or as we get to understand the characteristics or the attributes of Christ in this verse, all the other verses will make sense. So as you read through each letter among the seven letters to the seven churches, Christ is introduced by a description of his divine attributes or his characteristics. We read in chapter 1 the description of Christ as John saw Christ um, in his vision when he said, um, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. <coughs> Even what he saw, um, when he said, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, like one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow, like his eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in the furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength this is from revelation chapter 1 from verse 12. so we see christ even in the prologue that um, that was given by by john in this letter he described christ with attributes that are out of um that, that show that Christ is but God, that Christ is God. These attributes, you cannot find them in any person, but only God has these attributes. So, I am especially intrigued by the description attached to the letter, the to Philadelphia, to the church in Philadelphia, which openly declares Christ, that Jesus Christ 
is the Son of God. He is, in fact, the Son of God. All the divine characteristics are embodied in him. So I'm going to list four characteristics we find in this verse. Number one is holiness. That is his sacred and set apartness. Holiness emanates from him, from within him. He needs nothing to keep him holy. And anything that can be holy takes from him without depleting the source, which is he, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll repeat again. Holiness, that is his sacredness and set apartness. Holiness emanates from within him. He needs nothing to keep him holy. And anything that can be holy takes from him without depleting the source, which is he, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Christ Jesus being represented as God. He is not created, but he is the creator. And he is the source of all life, source of all the source of all things, all good things that we, we see that God um, show. One of these, which is holiness, that one characteristic of his holiness is that it sets him apart. He is just holy by himself. He doesn't need anything to be joined with so he can be holy. He doesn't draw his holy from any, holiness from anything else. But holiness comes from within himself. And he needs nothing to keep him holy. And anything that becomes holy or that takes holiness, it gets from him. And when something becomes holy, it doesn't deplete the source. That is, holiness is always overflowing in Christ. And no one else is holy but God. And Christ is holy. Number two, trueness. As we read, it says, the words of the Holy One as we touched, Jesus Christ, the Holy One, the true one. That's the second attribute, trueness. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, we read, John is saying, then I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And, he, and, and in righteousness he judges, the, he judges and makes war. And then also in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, we read, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. The word is true. Um, the word here, true, is used both to describe his characteristic and also is used as his name. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, he's actually called true, faithful and true. So true is both his name and um, his attribute. Um, so as we read, um, 
we, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. That's, that's what John is saying. And we see truth coming out of Christ that whatever he says is true and is true. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life in, in the book of John. And then the third, um, the third characteristic that we see is that he is the possessor of the key of David. Or we see his possession of the key of David. And as David is a type of Christ who decided matters about people in Israel, and his word was sovereign over the people whom he was given to govern, that is Israel. Christ is the sovereign king who has the authority to decide matters which no one above him, uh, which no one above him uh, can object. Christ um, borrowed this, uh, this description from Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, which says, and I, will, and I will place on his shoulder the key of David, the key of the house of David. He shall open and no one shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. So what we're seeing here is Christ uses the words that, that, was, that, were, used, oh, that were used in Isaiah. He borrowed from Isaiah and also he's using a figure of um, uh, David, as David was appointed to have sovereign power over um, the Israel nation, he was given um, the, the he was given the the position to judge the people of, the people of Israel, and Christ comes as a better David who holds the key of David in, in that he is the sovereign God. He holds the power to judge the world, and no one can object his judgment. And number four, let us look at his sovereignty. So he is described as who opens and no one will shut. Who shut and no one opens. It's connected to the, to the third point because they both come from Isaiah 22, 22. So it's, it's describing nothing other than the sovereignty that once he ordains something, no one has power to change it. This is the Christ that um, is being described here. It's very important to look at this verse, verse 7 in depth as we see the attributes of Christ to get to understand why the church in Philadelphia had to rely on Christ. Or who is Christ to the church in Philadelphia? Christ, the Holy God, Christ, the true God, whose name is faithful and true, Christ who possesses or who holds the key of David, that means he has sovereign power to judge matters on the earth, and for Christ, the sovereign king or the sovereign God who governs everything and everything is under his sovereign power. This is the Christ who's um, giving a message or an encouragement to the church in Philadelphia. Let us jump to verse 8. Here our Lord says, I know your works. I have set before you an open door, 
which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So here the Lord declares through his sovereign power an open door for the church in Philadelphia. And it seems like uh, the church in Philadelphia was a faithful church that Christ um, loved so dearly. We see uh, in, the, in the next few verses. Though in its importance or in its powerlessness, it remained strong because it had Christ. This is the church in Philadelphia. What we want to, to, to look at um, the message which is anchored, which is anchored um, in the part that, that shows us that this church was a faithful church and that it was a church that was loved by Christ, Christ, Christ so dearly. And uh, our message is anchored in that part that says, um, you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Here we see that God shows his grace to his saints sometimes by opening doors. This is a characteristic, characteristic we see here uh, from verse 7, is God is holding the keys of um of the house of David, and also he's the sovereign king who opens and no one shuts. And he tells the church in Philadelphia that, behold, I have, I have, op I have set an open door. And God sometimes uh, shows his grace to his saints sometimes by opening doors. This door is probably the door of evangelism. Opportunities to share the gospel and flourish in the Great Commission. It is true that a church can struggle to grow, or even in its evangelistic attempts, um, we can also struggle. But unless God sovereignly opens the door, it remains difficult to advance in preaching the gospel. Even though it's a great commission, go. It looks as if it's in our effort to go, therefore, and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. But unless God opens that door, we will not um, succeed. That's why we need to rely in the strength that Christ gives. It's not our efforts. Today we shall go and do some evangelism. I hope this message will also be an encouragement as we go. It should be also a prayer that doors may be opened to evangelize. So I want us to take note of the marks of the church whose strength is Christ is, highlight, is highlighted in the passage. The first one is the church whose strength is Christ is marked by their trust in the word. We read in the passage where it says, and yet we have kept my word. Christ is basically just describing the, the church in Philadelphia. That is, it was a church that kept the word of God. So trusting in the word of God is trusting in Christ himself as he and his word are one. This is what the Bible tells us, that in the word became flesh. 
Mtiwote among us. Even in Hebrews, the, the, the prologue of Hebrews says, uh, it, uh, it, ages ago, in many times, in many ways, uh, God spoke through visions and prophets and stuff. But uh, in this day, or in this time, he has spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. All the words of scripture are a representation of who Christ is. If you are to write something, if you are to write about Tapiwa, you'd write what he would say. You'd write what he is. What Tapiwa would stand and communicate. You're writing his mind or what he think, how he thinks. This is the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. It's the mind of God reviewed. So trusting in the word is trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. If I trust Pastor Joe, I will trust his word as well. His word, what he says, or how he speaks, how he communicates, cannot be divorced from who he is. If a person trusts in the word or keeps the word of Christ, shows that they trust and rely on him for all matters concerning providence, even for strength. If a person trusts in the word or keep the word of Christ, it shows that they trust and rely on him for all matters concerning providence, even for strength. As we read through the Bible, we read about how God moved with his people, how God provided for his people, how people who were um, named weak showed strength through Christ or were strengthened by God. We saw a lot of um, people that seemed very worthless in their appeal, but they were a, a heavy or a big instrument or a big um, rod which Christ used for his kingdom. We have the example, an example of uh, John, John the Baptist, he wore garments of um, skin and the food he ate was locusts and honey, wild honey. He wasn't a man of, um, of, he wasn't a noble man according to what people think. He didn't dress up in, in royal apparel. He was just a simple man. Even Jesus Christ himself was a simple man. We see all the prophets in the world, which is contrary to the, in, like, I mean, the prophets in the Old Testament, which is contrary to the prophets of today who drive fancy cars. We see the prophets, they were very simple men. Sometimes you see some things that these prophets did for something that you wouldn't even imagine. Um, a person who's noble would want to do. For example, um, the prophet Ezekiel, who was cooking food using a poop. And Isaiah walked naked for three years. Or Hosea, who was sent, who was told to marry a harlot. So this is showing that it's not in your position, it's not in your, your kingship or your royal position that Christ would come or that you, you have your strength or Christ would come to strengthen you. But Christ strengthens us in our weaknesses. That's why we're singing, I am weak, but thou art strong. Even as a church, let us remember that. 
Number two. Sorry, let us just um, touch on one last point on the first one. That keeping the word also means applying the word. How do we weigh and judge matters apart from applying the word? So even as a church, when we keep the word, when, when Christ says that, um, and yet you have kept my word, it's also applying the word. We don't just read the word, talk about the word, but we also apply the word in our lives. This is what it means to keep the word. And before we drift far off, let us remember that it is an attribute of a church who trust, that trusts in, in Christ for strength. We rely on the word, we apply the word. Number two, a church that is not, or a church that, um, or the church whose marks, or a church whose strength is Christ is marked by that it's not, or they are not afraid to be associated with Christ. We read a part that says, and have not denied my name. Revelation chapter, chapter 3, um, verse 8. It says that I know that you have but little power, yet you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. Um, so people at this time went through persecution. They were asked to deny Christ or die. But the picture we see in Philadelphia is that of a church that remained steadfast to Christ. During this time, it was a time of so much persecution. And the words, have not denied my name, they ring true because they were being asked to deny Christ in those times. They were being put in a position where they had to deny Christ. If they don't, then they die. But you see a church like this, which remains steadfast, that's willing to die for Christ, or willing, um, who was the church that was not embarrassed of being associated with Christ. So how does it apply today in our church? Are we sometimes put in a position where we want to try by all means to make sure that people don't know that we're Christians? Or if people ask about what we believe, we don't want to pour out everything about what we believe in the Bible because we are afraid of losing friends. Are we denying the name of Christ with our lives or with our witness out there? Number three, a church whose strength is Christ is marked by that they patiently endure persecution and hardship. Verse 9 to 10 says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. So let us just touch on what the synagogue of Satan was. We talked about it in, in uh, a few sessions that we had. The synagogue of Satan were the Jews 
uh, that were used by Satan as a weapon against the church. They were saying that they are Jews, but true Jews would have acknowledged Christ. In fact, these Jews, they were the enemies of the cross of Christ. Or the enemies of, they were the enemies of the cross and the enemies of Christ. They hated the work of Jesus Christ. They actually even tried to, to uh, fake, to fake the whole scenario or to recreate a story that does not align with what really happened for the sake of just denying the cross. When they told, um, when they bribed the, the, the guards saying that just, you know, they, they stole him or something, something like that. They wanted to deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were the enemies of the cross and of Jesus Christ. So they persecuted the church claiming to be doing the work of God and yes, they were against God. This is, is exactly also what Paul used to do when he was yet an unbeliever. He was claiming to do the work of God, but he was actually working against God. They were the synagogue of Satan. This is the people that were creeping into the church, trying to cause chaos in the church. These people joined hands with pagan authorities in torturing the church. Actually, as we read through the New Testament, especially in Acts, we see the Jews trying to, to, to push the authorities to, 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 to become uh, or to cause chaos or to torture the Christians. They would deliver the, the, the Christians or the, deli the delivered believers to authorities that they may be um, persecuted or that they may be killed. You see, Paul was delivered so many times into the hands of the pagans. So even after all the persecution opposition they, made, they, made, they met, they remained steadfast. This is what we are seeing of the church in Philadelphia. Of course, today we don't have Jews who are uh, acting as the synagogue of Satan today. But we do have such people who come into the church or some people we have an encounter with who are being used by the devil as weapons against the church. Friends, what this message that Christ is giving is telling us to remain steadfast. And by remaining steadfast, we are holding on to Christ. Our anchor is, 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 hold, is held tightly on Christ. Number four, a church whose strength is Christ is shown by their devotion to scriptures. Everything keeps coming back to the word of God and to Christ. Verse 11 to the end of the chapter says, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, 
which comes down from, the, from my God out of heaven, and my own new name, he who has an E, who has an e let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He said, Behold, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have. We often talk about it. This is something that's repeated over and over and over in the New Testament. That we should hold to what we have heard, or the truth, or the gospel. That which led you to salvation, hold on to it. Don't stray away from it. So that no one may seize your crown. We are living in times where the truth is challenged or the truth is labeled irrelevant to the times. The truth is labeled chimunya. Uh, you know, we are living in that time. But the good old gospel, the good old gospel that saved us, that saved the Apostle Paul and all the apostles. That saved everyone who was saved in the early church is what we are um, encouraged to hold on to and not stray away from the truth. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. This means that the one who conquers in this area, he will be established in God's, God's kingdom firmly and he shall never go out of it, or that he shall never be moved from where God puts him. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. And my, new, my own new name, which, uh, my own new name, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we are seeing here, um, how a true church, or a church that trusts in Christ, a church that holds on to Christ as the steady anchor, as we sing. A church that holds on to Christ as the source of strength is characterized by these things, which we as a church should strive on to, to, to excel in. When we have no strength, let us stay in prayer that we may trust the word, that we may not be afraid of, being, of that we may not be afraid to be associated with Christ, and that we may patiently endure persecution and hardship, and that we may hold on to what we have heard or what um, we have. That is the gospel. Amen.